0: Part two Chapter Eleven of the Country House by John Goldsworthy. This Sleepervox recording is in the public domain. Chapter eleven Mr. Barter Takes a Walk The event at the rectory was expected every moment. The rector, who practically never suffered, disliked the thought and sight of others suffering up to this day indeed there had been none to dislike for in answer to inquiries his wife had always said no dear no i'm all right really it's nothing and she had always said it smiling even when her smiling lips were white but this morning in trying to say it she had failed to smile her eyes had lost their hopelessly hopeful shining and sharply between her teeth she said Send for Dr. Wilson, hustle. The rector kissed her, shutting his eyes, for he was afraid of her face with its lips drawn back and its discolored cheeks. In five minutes, the groom was hastening to Cornmarket on the roan Cob, and the rector stood in his study, looking from one to another of his household gods, as though calling them to his assistance. At last, he took down a bat and began oiling it sixteen years ago when hustle was born he had been overtaken by sounds that he had never to this day forgotten they had clung to the nerves of his memory and for no reward would he hear them again they had never been uttered since for like most wives his wife was a heroine but used as he was to this event the rector had ever since suffered from panic it was as though providence storing all the anxiety which he might have felt throughout, let him have it with a rush at the last moment. He put the bat back into its case, corked the oil bottle, and again stood looking at his household gods. None came to his aid, and his thoughts were as they had nine times been before. I ought not to go out. I ought to wait for Wilson. Suppose anything were to happen still nurse is with her and i can do nothing poor rose poor darling it's my duty to-what's that i'm better out of the way softly without knowing that it was softly he opened the door softly without knowing it was softly he stepped to the hat rack and took his black straw hat softly without knowing it was softly he went out and unfaltering hurried down the drive Three minutes later, he appeared again, approaching the house faster than he had set forth. He passed the hall door, ran up the stairs, and entered his wife's room. Rose, dear, Rose, can I do anything? Mrs. Barter put out her hand. A gleam of malice shot into her eyes. Through her set lips came a vague murmur and the words. No, dear, nothing. Better go for your walk. Mr. Barter pressed his lips to her quivering hand and backed from the room. Outside the room he struck at the air with his fist, and running downstairs was once more lost to sight. Faster and faster he walked, leaving the village behind, and among the country sights and sounds and scents his nerves began to recover. He was able to think again of other things, of Cecil's school report, from satisfactory of old herman in the village whom he suspected of overdoing his bronchitis with an eye to port of the return match with collingham and his belief that their left-hand bowler only wanted hitting of the new edition of hymn-books and the slackness of the upper village in attending church five households less honest and ductile than the rest a foreign look about them dark people un-English. In thinking of these things, he forgot what he wanted to forget, but hearing the sound of wheels, he entered a field as though to examine the crops until the vehicle had passed. It was not Wilson, but it might have been, and at the next turning he unconsciously branched off the corn market road. It was noon when he came within sight of Coldingham, six miles from worsted skeins. He would have enjoyed a glass of beer, but unable to enter the public-house he went into the churchyard instead he sat down on a bench beneath a sycamore opposite the winlow graves for coldingham was lord Montrose's seat and it was here that all the winlows lay bees were busy above them in the branches and mr barter thought beautiful sight we've nothing like this at worsted skeins but suddenly he found that he could not sit there and think. Suppose his wife were to die. It happened sometimes. The wife of John Tharp of Bletchingham had died in giving birth to her tenth child. His forehead was wet, and he wiped it. Casting an angry glance at the window graves, he left the seat. He went down by the further path and came out on the green. A cricket match was going on, and in spite of himself, the rector stopped. The Colingham team were in the field. Mr. Barter watched. As he had thought, that left-hand bowler bowled a good pace and came in from the off, but his length was poor, very poor. A determined batsman would soon knock him off. He moved into line with the wickets to see how much the fellow came in, and he grew so absorbed that he did not at first notice the Honorable Geoffrey Winlow in pads and a blue and green blazer smoking a cigarette astride of a camp-stool ah oh, winlow it's your team against the village afraid i can't stop to see you bat i was just passing the matter i had to attend to must get back the real solemnity of his face excited winlow's curiosity can't you stop and have lunch with us no no my wife must get back winlow murmured oh yes of course his leisurely blue eyes always in command of the situation rested on the rector's heated face by the way he said i'm afraid george pendyce is rather hard hit been obliged to sell his horse i saw him at Epsom the week before last the rector brightened i made certain he'd come to grief over that betting he said i'm very sorry very sorry indeed they say went on Winlow, that he dropped four thousand over the thursday race he was pretty well dipped before i know poor old george such an awfully good chap ah oh, repeated mr barter i'm very sorry very sorry indeed things were bad enough as it was a ray of interest illumined the leisureliness of the honourable jeffrey's eyes you mean about mrs m um, yes he said people are talking you can't stop that i'm so sorry for the poor squire and mrs pendyce i hope something will be done the rector frowned i've done my best he said well hit sir i've always said that anyone with a little pluck can knock off that left-hand man you think so much of he comes in a bit but he bowls a shocking bad length here i am dawdling i must get back and once more that solemnity came over mr barter's face i suppose you'll be playing for Coldingham against us on thursday good-bye nodding in response to winlow's salute he walked away he avoided the churchyard and took a path across the fields he was hungry and thirsty in one of his sermons there occurred this passage we should habituate ourselves to hold our appetites in check by constantly accustoming ourselves to abstinence little abstinence in our daily life we alone can attain to that true spirituality without which we cannot hope to know god and it was well known throughout his household and the village that the rector's temper was almost dangerously spiritual if anything detained him from his meals for he was a man physiologically sane and healthy to the core whose digestion and functions, strong, regular, and straightforward as the day, made calls upon him which would not be denied. After preaching that particular sermon, he frequently for a week or more denied himself a second glass of ale at lunch, or his after-dinner cigar, smoking a pipe instead. And he was perfectly honest in his belief that he attained a greater spirituality thereby, and perhaps indeed he did. But even if he did not, there was no one to notice this, for the majority of his flock accepted his spirituality as matter of course, and of the insignificant minority, there were few who did not make allowance for the fact that he was their pastor by virtue of necessity, by virtue of a system which had placed him there almost mechanically, whether he would or no. Indeed, they respected him the more that he was their rector and could not be removed, and were glad that theirs was no common vicar like that at Coldingham, dependent on the caprices of others. For with the exception of two bad characters and one atheist, the whole village, conservatives or liberals, there were liberals now that they were beginning to believe that the ballot was really secret, were believers in the hereditary system insensibly the rector directed himself towards bletchingham where there was a temperance house at heart he loathed lemonade and ginger-beer in the middle of the day both of which made his economy cold and uneasy but he felt he could go nowhere else and his spirits rose at the sight of bletchingham spire bread and cheese he thought what's better than bread and cheese and they shall make me a cup of coffee in that cup of coffee there was something symbolic and fitting to his mental state. It was agitated and thick, and impregnated with the peculiar flavor of country coffee. He swallowed but little, and resumed his march. At the first turning he passed the village school, whence issued a rhythmic but discordant hum, suggestive of some dull machine that had served its time. The rector paused to listen. Leaning on the wall of the little play yard, he tried to make out the words that, like a religious chant, were being intoned within. It sounded like twice two's four, twice four six, twice six's eight. And he passed on, thinking, a fine thing, but if we don't take care, we shall go too far. We shall unfit them for their stations. And he frowned crossing a stile he took a footpath the air was full of the singing of larks and the bees were pulling down the clover stalks at the bottom of the field was a little pond overhung with willows on the bare strip of pasture within thirty yards in the full sun an old horse was tethered to a peg he stood with its face towards the pond baring its yellow teeth and stretching out its head all bone and hollows to the water which it could not reach the rector stopped he did not know the horse personally for it was three fields short of his parish but he saw that the poor beast wanted water he went up and finding that the knot of the halter hurt his fingers stooped down and wrenched at the peg while he was thus straining and tugging crimson in the face the old horse stood still gazing at him out of his bleary eyes mr Barter sprang upright with a jerk the peg in his hand and the old horse started back soho boy said the vector and angrily he muttered shame to tie the poor beast up here in the sun i should like to give his owner a bit of my mind he led the animal towards the water the old horse followed tranquilly enough but as he had done nothing to deserve his misfortune neither did he feel any gratitude towards his deliverer he drank his fill and fell to grazing the rector experienced a sense of disillusionment and drove the peg again into the softer earth under the willows then raising himself he looked hard at the old horse the animal continued to graze the rector took out his handkerchief wiped the perspiration from his brow and frowned he hated ingratitude in man or beast suddenly he realized that he was very tired it must be over by now he said to himself and hastened on in the heat across the fields the rectory door was open passing into the study he sat down a moment to collect his thoughts people were moving about he heard a long moaning sound that filled his heart with terror he got up and rushed to the bell but did not ring it and ran upstairs instead outside his wife's room he met his children's old nurse she was standing on the mat with her hands to her ears and the tears were rolling down her face oh sir she said oh sir the rector glared woman he cried woman he covered his ears and rushed downstairs again there was a lady in the hall it was mrs pendyce and he ran to her as a hurt child runs to its mother my wife he said my poor wife god knows what they're doing to her up there mrs pendyce and he hid his face in his hands she who had been a totteridge, stood motionless then very gently putting her gloved hand on his thick arm where the muscles stood out from the clenching of his hands she said dear mr barter dr wilson is so clever come into the drawing-room the rector stumbling like a blind man suffered himself to be led he sat down on the sofa and mrs pendyce sat down beside him her hand still on his arm over her face passed little quivers as though she were holding herself in she repeated in her gentle voice it will be all right it will be all right come come in her concern and sympathy there was apparent not aloofness but a faint surprise that she should be sitting there stroking the rector's arm mr barter took his hands from before his face if she dies he said in a voice unlike his own i'll not bear it in answer to those words forced from him by that which is deeper than habit mrs pendyce's hand slipped from his arm and rested on the shiny chintz covering of the sofa patterned with green and crimson her soul shrank from the violence in his voice wait here she said i will go up and see to command was foreign to her nature but mr barter with a look such as a little rueful boy might give obeyed when she was gone he stood listening at the door for some sound for any sound even the sound of her dress but there was none for her petticoat was of lawn and the rector was alone with the silence that he could not bear he began to pace the room in his thick boots his hands clenched behind him his forehead butting the air his lips folded thus a bull pinned for the first time turns and turns showing the whites of its full eyes his thoughts drove here and there fearful angered without guidance he did not pray the words he had spoken so many times left him as though of malice we're all in the hands of god we're all in the hands of god instead of them he could think of nothing but the old saying mr paramore had used in the squire's dining room there's moderation in all things and this with cruel irony kept humming in his ears moderation in all things moderation in all things and his wife lying there his doing and there was a sound the rector's face so brown and red could not grow pale but his great fists relaxed mrs pendyce was standing in the doorway with a peculiar half-pitiful half-excited smile it's all right a boy the poor dear has had a dreadful time the rector looked at her but did not speak then abruptly he brushed past her in the doorway hurried into his study and locked the door then and then only he kneeled down and remained there many minutes thinking of nothing End of chapter eleven